Greetings or welcome back. This is Dr. Mark McCullough with another Canto from Dante's Inferno, this time Canto 31. And uh, with the, the 31st Canto, we're entering into the final stretch of the entire Inferno and also into the lower hell um, and uh, into the last circle. I will be reading from Mark Muse's translation of the Inferno, and after offering some of my uh, commentary, uh, notes, uh, questions, uh, and uh, thoughts for, for future discussions. The very tongue that first spoke, stinging me, making the blood rush up to both my cheeks, then gave the remedy to ease the pain. Just as, so I have heard, Achilles' lance, belonging to his father, was the source of pain, and then of balm to him it struck. Turning our backs on that trench of misery, gaining the bank against that walls it in, we cut across, walking in dead silence. Here it was less than night and less than day, so that my eyes could not see far ahead. But then I heard the blast of some high horn, which would have made a thunderclap seem sound dim. It drew my eyes directly to one place, as they retraced the sound's path to its source. After the tragic rout, when Charlemagne lost all his faithful, holy Palladians, the sound of Roland's horn was not as ominous. Keeping my eyes still turned that way, I soon made out what seemed to be a high clustered towers. Master, I said, what city lies ahead? Because you try to penetrate the shadows, he said to me, from much too far away you confuse the truth with your imagination. You will see clearly when you reach that place how much the eyes may be deceived by distance, and so just push along ahead a little more. Then lovingly he took me by the hand and said, But now, before we go on farther to prepare you for the truth that could seem strange, I'll tell you these aren't towers. They are giants. They're standing in the well around the bank, all of them hidden from their navels down. As when the fog begins to thin and clear, the sight can slowly make out more and more what is hidden in the midst that clogs the air. So as I pierce the thick and murky air, approaching slowly closer to the well, confusion cleared, and my fear took on more shape. For just as Madregion is crowned with towers, soaring high above its curving ramparts, so on the bank that runs along the around the well, towering with only half their bodies out, stood the terrible giants, forever threatened by Jupiter in the heavens when he thunders. And now I could make out one of the faces, the shoulders, the chest, and a good part of the belly, and down along the sides, the two great arms. Nature, when she cast away the mold for shaping beasts like these, without a doubt did well, depriving Mars of more such agents. And if she never did repent of whales and elephants, we must consider her, on sober thought, all the more just and wary. For when the faculty of intellect is joined with brute force and with evil will, no man can win against such an alliance. His face, it seemed to me, was about as long and just as wide as St. Peter's Cone in Rome, and all his body's bones were in proportion, so that the bank which served to cover him from his waist down showed so much height above that three tall Frisians on each other's shoulders could never boast of stretching to his hair, for downward from the place men clasped their cloaks. I saw a generous thirty handspans of him, 
Raphael He played these sputtering notes with prideful lips, for which no sweeter psalm was suitable. My guide called up to him. Blothering idiot, stick to your horn and take it out on that when you feel a fit of anger coming on. Search round your neck and you will find the strap it's tied to, you poor muddle-headed soul, and there's the horn so pretty on your chest. And he turned to me. His words accuse him. He is Nimrod, through whose infamous device the world no longer speaks a common language. But let's leave him alone and not waste breath, for he can no more understand our words than anyone can understand his language. We had to walk still farther than before, continuing to the left a full bow's shot to find another giant, huger and more fierce. What engineer it took to bind this brute, I cannot say, but there he was, one arm pinned to his back, the other locked in front, with a giant chain winding around him tight, which, starting from his neck, made five great coils, and that was counting only to his waist. This beast of pride decided he would try to pit his strength against Almighty Jove, my leader said, and he has won this prize. He's Elphizates, who made his great attempt when the giants arose to fill the gods with panic. The arms he lifted then, he moved no more. And I to him, if it were possible, I would really like to have a chance to see the fantastic figure of Briaceus. His answer was, not far from here you'll see Antaeus, who can speak and is not chained. He will set us down in the very pit of sin. The one you want to see is farther off. He too is bound and looks just like this one, except for his expression, which is fiercer. No earthquake of the most outrageous force ever shook a tower with such violence as suddenly Aphiates shook himself. I never feared to die as much as then, and my fear might have been enough to kill me if I had not already seen those chains. We left him and continued moving on and came to where Antaeus stood, extending from the well a good five ells up to his head. O oh, you who in the celebrated valley that saw Scipio become the heir of glory when Hannibal was all his men retreated, once captured a thousand lions as your quarry, and with whose aid had you chosen to take part in the great war with your brothers, the sons of earth would, as many still think, have been the victors. Do not disdain this modest wish. Take us and put us down, where ice locks and cocatus. Do not make us go to Titius or Typhon. This man can give you what all long for here, and so bend down and do not scowl at us. He can spread your legend in the world, for he yet lives, and long life lies before him, unless grace summons him before his time. Thus spoke my master. And the giant in haste stretched out the hands whose formidable grip great Hercules once felt, and took my guide. And Virgil, when he felt the grasping hands, called out, Now come, and I'll take hold of you. Clasped together, we made a single burden. And as the Garcenda looks from underneath its leaning side at the moment when a cloud comes drifting over against the tower's slant, just so the bending giant Antaeus seemed as I looked up, expecting him to topple. I wish then I'd gone another way, but he most carefully handed us down to the pit that swallows Lucifer with Judas. And then the leaning giant immediately drew himself up as tall as a ship's mast. 
So as I commented in my introduction, this is the final stretch of the Inferno, and here we're introduced into the world of complex fraud and complex malice. That word complex has been used by translators and um, and uh, in reference to um, the, the, in contrast rather to the simple fraud uh, that we saw prior to um, prior to this, um, here these giants who rebelled against Jupiter are in, uh, imprisoned for eternity in a, in a very uh, similar uh, for a very similar reason as many uh, of the sinners here are damned uh, for acts of betrayal uh, and rebellion. And line, um, I think line um, fifty five through fifty seven. Uh, when uh, you know Dante's uh, gazing at these large monsters, these large giants, and uh, muses uh, how um, how prudent nature has been to disallow such uh, beasts uh, outside of whales, uh, gentle whales and elephants, um, he says, uh, "For when the faculty of intellect is joined with brute force and with evil will, no man can win against such an alliance." So. That combination of uh, intellect, brute force, and evil will describes to a T uh, the damned we see from here on out. They'll, they'll all have a, kind of an intellect. Um, they will um, their their force or their violence uh, will be present uh, and cl and clear, and their intention, their malice, uh, uh, their evil will. Uh, will also be clear. So, any uh, of the damned that we see in these final uh, in these final cantos of Dante have uh, clear um, uh, will for for evil ends, malice, um, maliciousness, also uh, overwhelming and tremendous violence, and a kind of perversion. Uh, we might say of intellect, and uh, so there's a kind of admiration, and we're even introduced here at the end of Canto 31 to uh, who who we will see uh, in Canto 34, Lucifer and Judas, um, of course, uh, figures that represent um, intellect, brute force, and evil will. So when these are uh, you know, combined. In, in such a person, in such a, a, a monster, uh, in such a figure, no one, no man can win. And, uh, and Dante says here that, you know, nature uh, did well, uh, depriving Mars, Mars the god of war, uh, with any more agents. Now I just return to my Hollander translation for these same lines 55 through 57 and Hollander translates that passage for when the power of thought is coupled with ill will and naked force there is no refuge from it for mankind um, not all difference uh, but I um, I, I like uh, the last line of Hollander there is no refuge from it that is the um, that is the the that the, the ease evil uh, uh, giants um, and then uh, applying to the, the betrayers uh, in in the ice below um, and there is no refuge from it for mankind and it reminds me uh, which not so much reminds me but it points towards a, an enduring 
uh, issue that Dante has uh, throughout the Inferno and really even continues into the Purgatory, which is the question of why there is so much evil currently in his world. Uh, why is there? Um, why are things so bad? And it makes uh, it it sort of this line. There's no refuge from it. Is another way of saying that is why can't why cannot man have refuge from this kind of um, uh, brute force, evil will, and uh, sort of power of thought? Um, and it's going to be a question, an issue that haunts Dante all throughout the Purgatory as well. And he's going to get an answer uh, to that. Uh, from Marco the Lombard, um, but it's something to look forward to, and I can see on this reading, um, my reading of Canto 31, that this is a, a place where this question uh, is is perhaps percolating in, in Dante's own mind. Uh, how can he answer um, the question to the prevalence of evil in his contemporary world? Now the set pieces to uh, Canto Thirty One are quite brilliant and and also repeat the pattern Dante has followed throughout the Inferno, which is to offer uh, two uh, kinds of uh, analogies: one classical and one medieval. And he does this here in the beginning in lines one through six with the mention of the lance of Achilles. That's the classical allusion. Um, and this lance of Achilles uh, both wounds and heals simultaneously. So this is the analogy made for, uh, you know, Virgil's um, embarrassing uh, uh, sort of stare uh, and words at Dante at the end of the last canto. Um, and so this carryover action is compared to um, to this um, to this lance of Achilles uh, that brings comfort as well as uh, beforehand wounding, just as uh, Virgil's tongue appears to do. Uh, Virgil uh, is held in such high esteem by Dante that uh, every moment with him, it, you know, um, <laughs> you know it, it threatens to descend into, you know, kind of embarrassment on the part of the poet. Um, and yet that very embarrassment can be, um, can be healed in the act of a smile. And that's what we saw um, in the last, uh, in the last canto. The medieval uh, allusion here that's given is one to the Chasson de Roland, which is the Song of Roland. And Dante would have known this, um, this text uh, probably in a very different form than we know today. But uh, we do know that uh, the character of Ganelon, who betrays Charlemagne there at the beginning of the uh, Song of Roland, is alluded to here. Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing allusion because it's not just simply a, a, a small and simple detail uh, to the um, sort of the horn and, and these kinds of things, but it actually sets up the action and the drama that is to that is to come. And so, um, just as uh, uh, Ganelon has betrayed Charlemagne in that poem and given up the rear of the uh, of the of the army, uh, which uh, included Roland and his troops, uh, Roland uh, blows the trumpet, uh, his trumpet to announce the treachery of, of Ganelon uh, in betraying them. Uh, but it's too late, and Roland dies uh, along with many of his men, and he takes many of the more uh, soldiers with him. Um, so, too, is that action applied to Dante and Virgil, who themselves 
are, um, in a sense, uh, sneaking into the rear uh, here. Uh, uh, they are taking actually the, the the position of the Moors in that they, um, uh, in that they are kind of themselves um, uh, sneaking uh, up to the giants, and uh, and this will later be seen with um, uh, Virgil's taunting of a giant. Um, why don't you go ahead and blow your horn? Blow your horn, of course, too late uh, because we're already here. It also introduces us, of course, into uh, the, uh, the, the the realm of treachery and uh, treachery uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, simple fraud. It's, this is not just counterfeiting, you know, like producing dollar bills in your basement or predicting the future uh wrongly claiming to have such powers but not doing it in hopes that you can uh, have an advantage over your victim but this is treachery this is this these these actions um, this naked power as Hollander translates that passage um, affects uh, a great deal of people so just as in that medieval um, poem of Roland uh, the where the troops his troops are massacred uh, by such a treachery so too uh, the evil here that is committed uh, offends and affects, uh, offends God the most and affects man the most, uh, treachery. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's uh, difficult to um, water down the word treachery. Um, uh, and so the, these, um, uh, these uh, allusions here kind of set the stage for um, Dante and Virgil's encounter with the giants. Uh. So, and uh, so uh, Nimrod, who is this uh, giant that Virgil uh, sort of insults, um, you know, treats him like a drunk, uh, uh, you know, a drunk partier at New Year's Eve or something, telling him that he can't, you know, make a good speech. Um, this, uh, this, this speech is, uh, is just jar- jarbled, uh, jumbled uh, material. And different commentators have said different things. There has a long tradition of... Uh, uh, translators and commentators attempting to uh, make out Raphael me amak zabi almi. Musa says it's nonsense and it's not worth engaging in. Hollander, in in my translation, says, "Well, yes and no. I mean, it is nonsense. We're not meant to understand it correctly, but there's enough there, uh, including Raphael, the name of the archangel." to indicate that what Nimrod has done is he's perverted language. Uh, so it is a kind of inversion of something meaningful, uh, not just simply randomness, uh, but some kind of almost uh, sen- almost making sense here. Um, and um, if anyone is interested, take a look at Hollander's um, uh, breakdown of that, and if you have something in your own commentary uh, for this. Um, Dante was considered, I think, more ad- ad- adept at uh, languages than he really was, you know, including Hebrew. Um, I don't think he knew it as well as maybe some of his contemporaries or post-contemporaries thought he did. Um, but it still doesn't mean there's something there. Also, speaking of Hollander and his uh, and his commentaries, one one I was just laughing to myself of how crazy. Um, this whole engagement uh, that Virgil has uh, uh, with uh, Antaeus, and um, reminded of uh, Ulysses, uh, the Ulysses um, episode in Canto Twenty Six, where 
Virgil, of course, um, who wrote about Ulysses uh, and had made him infamous in a sense, right? In in the Roman in the Latin speaking world, um, has now the the uh, job of of in a sense flattering Ulysses in order for him to speak. It's a very similar situation goes here uh, on here with Antaeus, um, and I'm laughing at the notes that Hollander wrote because. Uh, unlike Ulysses, who Virgil wrote about, uh, Virgil did not write much of Antaeus, and in fact, um, he has a kind of a difficult job here at the end of the canto. Um, he's, is, is, he's attempting to persuade Antaeus to pick him and Dante up and, and bring them and, and place them down into the, this uh, treacherous zone, um, but he's kind of already insulted him, um, and so what does he do? Uh, you know, after you've insulted someone, um, like he insulted Nimrod, it's a little bit more subtle with Antaeus, but he basically says, well, you, you lost a, a great a great war and you didn't actually participate in defending your brother. Um, so what is he to do? Well, Virgil sort of turns on the rhetoric and in turning on the rhetoric, um, Hollander points to uh, the kind of implicit and deep allusions to, to Lucan. Uh, Lucan, who himself, uh, the Roman poet, Lucan himself, who did tell the tale of Antaeus, Antaeus and the Lion Killer, or the uh, yeah the Lion Killer, and it was it was Lucan and not Virgil who it, you know explicitly uh, compares Antaeus uh, favorably uh, to Briasius, Briasius, and um, and so it's um it's a it's an interesting uh, deep uh, deep cut here illusion of Virgil kind of taking on this kind of rhetorical uh, persuasion. He's trying to persuade him to do his bidding, uh, and he does so in a way that uh, references a poet that Virgil himself would have been familiar with, Lucan. So um, that persuasion, by the way, isn't all that successful. Uh, <laughs> Virgil kind of fails to completely succeed. And so what does he do? He says, well, look, uh, I got this guy here uh, who is alive, and he will uh, spread your fame throughout the world if um, if you do this for him. So the exchange here, the win-win here is you give us passage and we will uh, be sure uh, that your fame uh, will be, will you will be celebrated uh, back on earth. It's so incredible to me that any of these characters in, in hell would care about such things. Why do they care about fame and why do they care about their reputation back on earth? Um, in one sense, it's just Virgil doing uh, what the classical poets have done, um, what you know, certainly uh, we see in Homer where Odysseus is, uh, rather uh, Achilles' interest is not in ruling the underworld, but rather um, hearing about his fame back on earth. But fame is the answer to short life, and fame in, in, in Kleos, or glory in battle, is the answer for the, um, for the classical, um, classical man, for the, for the hero of old. Um, that was the key. That was the, that was the goal of life, uh, the fact that man was not immortal and could not live like Zeus. Uh, meant that his compensation was was glory and was fame, and so Dante follows in line with this. Um, it's not salvation they're looking for or eternal life, or, or rather they are looking for eternal life, but they have already decided that that is way out of their grasp. So, 
fame is most important. And yet Dante, in this world uh, where fame, uh, earthly fame, actually is a form of pride and makes a man, uh, uh, makes a man fall, uh, as we've seen over and over again. Um, uh, you know, why would they continue to to care about it? It's uh, it's insane, right? It's an, it's 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 an, it's a form of insanity. It's um it, it's uh, uh, I want to make an allusion to a David Lynch movie, but I'll I'll restrain myself. But it's like asking for something, uh, kind of uh, small, in a much larger tr- tragic circumstance. Um, and there's a kind of absurdity almost to such a thing. So I've always looked at this as like, what is going on? Are they really so? Are these are these creatures? Are these persons that are trapped in hell really so closed uh, to all of this? Then I also think to myself, well, you know, in many ways, the 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 the, the suffering of the damned is really a continuation of their sins on earth. So it's not that they're you know tortured in ways in which are utterly new to them, but rather a development, an increase of that which was already part of their sufferings back on earth. And in many ways, that makes if that's Dante's uh, lesson here, it certainly makes Dante uh, a classical thinker. All right, so as I say, this is the final lap. It's really the, the lap before the final lap in part, but we're, we're into the, the final uh, stage now of Dante's Inferno. This entire canto, as we see at the conclusion and at the beginning of Canto 32, is really a, a, a transitional canto. It's about transitioning from simple to complex. And the complexity, of course, is in part uh, what... Uh, what I spoke about at the beginning, which is this um, thought, uh, the intellect, naked or brute uh, power uh, mixed with malice and and, and evil intention, evil will, evil ill will uh, on the part of the person. And so we're we're making our way into that now. And um, complex insofar as that these are, it's a kind of a mixture, right? There's strength of, um, I would say, much of what we found uh, in the second part of the Inferno in, in the violent. So we, we're carrying ahead violence, and we're also carrying uh, into these final cantos uh, the, uh, the, the, the types of frauds uh, that we have seen. And so there's a, it's not so much that the sins committed and unconfessed by those who we will now encounter are worse, well, they are worse, but they're they're compounded uh, in a sense that that malice and treachery somehow include all of the sins um, that we've seen, <clears throat> all of the evils that we've seen prior to Cantos 34, 32 through thirty four. <coughs> also, think to yourself that at a certain point here, uh, starting next Canto, Dante will be going up and no longer down. So there's we're actually at here in, in at the end of 31 and the beginning of 32 we're actually at the lowest uh, the, 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 the lowest part of hell and uh, I, we will see some climbing happen here at the end of the inferno especially the scene in which he climbs up uh, Satan's body um, there in canto 34 so that's a lot to look forward to um, there will be I will uh, combine cantos 32 and 33 with the amazing story of Ugolino, um, and then I will uh, have a final um, recording of, of um, 
of 34. So I hope you'll join me for that. And again, as always, any questions, comments, please uh, email me um, at, at the email provided or, or make comments uh, where they are, where there is a provision to do so.